Chapter 3 Isois's Story You may have heard some of my story last night. It was the days of my youth, and this valley was my playground. Each time I ventured into this wondrous land, I fell more and more in love with Corventantori. On this day, I wandered through the meadow within the white birch forest. The leaves rustling in the soft wind brought the sound of rain to the dry afternoon. The meadow grass scratched at my bare legs as I walked along. Deep in thought and the joy of this enchanted valley, I walked on in a dreamy haze. Suddenly, a bleating cry rang out from beyond the edge of the woods. Startled and disoriented, I ran searching for the source. As my senses returned to the present, I could finally place the mournful sound. I had heard such bleating in my own woods near our cabin. Was it reindeer, Grandfather? I've heard them myself when one was taken down by wolves near the cabin, I blurted. It wasn't taken down by wolves, was it? That is such a sad sound, Grandfather. Isoisa stood patiently in front of me, a broad smile emerging from the corners of his mouth. His eyes began to twinkle, but he stood silent until I had finished my abrupt interruption. Who is telling this story, Nicholas? He chuckled. May I go on? Are there more questions from your quick, inquisitive mind? I could feel my face flush as I sank back into the small wooden chair. Grandfather continued. I knew the sound must be from one of the local reindeer. It was clearly hurt and perhaps in danger. Walking cautiously, I moved towards the commotion as the cries became more and more desperate. Emerging from the edge of the woods, I saw it, a fawn lying across the ground as it struggled to find its feet. I slowly approached the frightened creature whose eyes were wide with fear. Cautiously, I reached out my hand and spoke in the soothing sounds I had heard mother deer make to their offspring. This was clearly a young deer newly separated. My poor attempt at being a doe seemed to calm the injured fawn. I sat next to the weak animal for some time, stroking and soothing the terrified fellow. As my hand moved across the silky fur, his body let me know in subtle ways that the right front leg had been injured. Looking about for some sticks, I tore a large piece of cloth from my shirt in order to wrap the injured limb. The fledgling calf was surprisingly calm now and allowed me to gently cover his injured leg. As the last wrap of my torn shirt encircled the deer's limb, I heard a rustling from somewhere behind me. I could see the fawn's ears perk up and his head give a slight tilt. Just as I was about to turn around, a strong hand landed upon my shoulder. I bet I know who it was, Grandfather. I interrupted again. I heard you and Nicholas talking last night. As with any good story, it is best to hear it all 
together. Shh. My grandfather scolded. I jumped and spun so quickly. I must have looked like something out of a poor man's ballet. As I landed, I saw before me a round old man laughing so hard that tears slipped from his squinted eyes. You nearly scared me to death. I managed to stammer. His laughter continued until finally between gasps for breath, he whispered, oh, I am sorry, young man. Then he knelt gently toward the deer. The injured fawn did not move or startle, but stayed calm and still, allowing the old man to feel along the leg. The man nodded and smiled as he examined the cloth and sticks that protected the damaged limb. Whoa, young one, you were in good hands, I see. He commented approvingly. Finally, he introduced himself. I am pleased to have someone so skilled in my woods. My name is Nicholas, and this fawn is a friend of mine. My mind raced as I tried to make sense of Isois's story. Surely it could not be a coincidence that the round old man I had just met and the one my grandfather spoke of now had the same name. Yet how could this be? My grandfather was but a boy when he first came to the woods. A uh, grandfather? Quiet, little one. Remember, I am the one telling this story. You will understand in time. For now you must listen, and listen well. Grandfather firmly replied, Nicholas told me that he had a cabin nearby in the woods. Together, he and I lifted the frail fawn and carried it to a sturdy barn just outside the cabin. Within this barn were all manner of harness and itching gear, as well as the largest sleigh I had ever seen. Its bright red cab held a wooden seat that had been carved from local trees. The sleigh itself had curved sides that reached higher than any I had seen before and rose in the back in a long sloping arch. The runners were shiny and well cared for, gleaming with a glow few metals could match. The paint on the side was in a gold leaf. The pattern reminded me of the white birch forest I had just left. A series of bells hung from long leather straps which were tied to the top edges around the entire sled. Inside the barn, several other reindeer stood and looked with interest as we carried the fallen deer into a straw-covered stall. I have brought a new friend to visit, Nicholas whispered. But more importantly, an injured fawn that will require some of our magic if it is to survive. You must keep a close eye on this one until I can tend to his leg. Nicholas spoke to these animals just the same as if it had been you or me. 
stranger still they seemed to respond. The deer in the stall to the right lay down and placed his head between the open boards and into the injured fawn's booth. Ah, I knew I could count on you, he said. I will be back in a bit to tend to this newcomer after I have fed our other young friend here and sent him on his way. Nicholas took me into his cabin. We ate a most enjoyable meal and I felt full and contented. The mountain and the woods filled our conversation as we shared stories of Corvington Turi. My curiosity of the sleigh led me to ask about what I had seen in the barn. Nicholas shared that he used a large sleigh in the winter to travel out of the mountain area to visit many friends, some of whom lived far, far away. The reindeer provided the team that pulled the heavy sleigh. I had little reason to doubt what I was being told. It was as I looked around this hidden cabin that I began to wonder about this unique man I had met. Everywhere I looked set carved toys, stuffed dolls, colorful tops for spinning, and a host of other things. In one corner was a wooden train, each wheel intricately carved, from the engine a glistening red stack emerged. Inside the coal car lumps of what appeared to be real coal set ready for the next run. The windows on the side of the train were lovingly painted, providing a view inside a world that never was. In one pane, a small boy gazed, as if to catch the wonders that would soon be flying by. I had seen toys before, but never one so detailed as this. I began to think back to the barn. I had seen no workshop, no tools for wood carving, certainly nothing that could have done this. Where had this come from? Where had all of these toys come from? Nicholas seemed to sense my curiosity as I took in this cabin that had been crafted out of some childhood dream. I have many children whom I care about, he slowly said. Too many even to count. I bring them these toys when I go to see them in the winter in my sleigh. I told him I had never seen so many beautiful toys before and asked from where they had come. Oh, it's a bit of a hobby for me, he said. I cannot resist a new toy when I see one. As I travel, I learn of new trinkets and toys enjoyed by the children. Nicholas told me many things that day, none of which were untrue, but none hinted at the miracle I was soon to discover. I said goodbye to Nicholas and headed off through the woods. Something bothered me about my visit that would not let me go. Here was an old man living alone in the wilderness in a cabin full of the most dazzling toys I had ever seen. I could under his, understand his ability to comfort the wild animals. But how was it that they obeyed his command? 
The curious sled leafed in gold became a picture that would not leave my thoughts. Questions floated through the gentle summer breeze as my mind turned and twisted what I had seen and heard. My feet rose and fell as I walked along, but I paid slight attention to where I was going. Suddenly the forest opened in front of me, shadows stretching across the valley floor. Before me lay a lake of glass fed by a gentle mountain stream. A curious path of rocks led to the pebbled shore. The first were but small round steps. Later, odd shapes began to appear. A larger rock rose above the rest with a sunken bowl carved in its top that emptied out into a spray of stones just before the water's edge. Above, on the mountain's green and treeless slope, a waterfall dropped from a large outcropping, the source of this pristine gem. I began to play upon the rock-strewn trail as thoughts floated inside my head. The gentle summer sound of waterfall and wind-blown leaves played lightly on my ear. I danced from rock to rock without a care, chanting to the rhythm of the forest. Bounding three steps, skipping one, two more, back at the setting sun, forward, forward, almost there, rest upon the royal chair. I spoke as I settled into the curved bowl. Look upon your subjects prone and choose the path that leads you home. Though rocks lay before me in numerous patterns, several began to take on a strange glow. I jumped down, stepping on each in turn as new ones lit up to guide my course. Finally, the last rock was set aglow, and there I found myself many feet out into the lake, a curious fire burning just beneath the still calm water. To this day, I do not know what made me do it, but I stepped out, my foot landing where the light led.